Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. All these weird sports that you're like, okay, this is a thing now, archery. You know, someone who shall not be named is in a life group saying, I thought they'd be better than this, you know? Like, if you're at the Olympic Games, surely you'd be better at this, you know? There's a lot of, like, not hitting the bull on this thing. Um, but one of the words for sin is missing the mark. David, David mentions that. God, I've, I've missed the mark. The second word that he mentions is transgressions. And transgressions, if you can imagine it, it's actually stepping over a boundary, so in those days when you would farm, there would be a boundary line and you couldn't farm your, fa- your, your neighbor's farm and you would transgress, you would step out if, um, if you farmed his land. So there's a sense of missing the mark, of actually stepping into a place where you don't belong. And the third word, which is, which is the word that we translate for sin, is an inward crookedness. Like a, 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 like, like a branch that should be straight, but it's crooked. And it's interesting because when, when a human being is crooked, what are they looking at? They're looking at themselves. Everything is focused on themselves. So there's an inward crookedness. And so, so David is saying to God, God, forgive me for the way in which I've overstepped boundaries. Forgive me for the way in which I've missed the target you've set for me. Forgive me for the way in which I've been inwardly crooked and just looking for myself. But again, the question is, after Jesus has come, and after we've responded to the fact that His blood and His broken body has taken care of us, and say, why do we need to confess if what I've been told is true about the gospel, that, that Jesus knows me, He knows my sin, and has forgiven it, then why, why should I do that? Well, it's not because the confession... It's, It's not because suddenly we've activated something. It is that we ourselves are reminded of the greatness of the gift of forgiveness that we've received. 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9 says, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christ has already cleansed us. He has already paid the full price for it. But this doesn't replace our asking. It is the basis for our asking, the fact that it's already been done. It's the reason we can confidently go to Him and say, God, forgive me for this sin that is beginning to shape my character. Now, there are men in this room, and maybe some women, that have asked someone to marry them. Now, when you went to ask someone to marry you, were you unsure about whether they were going to do that? Were you unsure about whether you would get a yes? No, you weren't. You knew in that moment that when you kind of got down on one knee or whether you asked the question, you knew that there was an incredibly high likelihood that the answer would be yes. It's the same way that when we come to ask God for forgiveness, we're not coming to Him wondering whether He's going to forgive. We come to Him knowing that He is willing and able. Why? Because he's the one that sent the Nathans in the first place. It was an act of God's grace to pursue and expose that in our lives. <laughs> that is not at all what we're talking about. You know what? Don't worry about it. If it's not working, we'll just cut it out rather than mess with people's attention. Okay. Sorry about that. 
Um, what we do when we don't repent is we refuse an avenue of God's grace, not only for the present, but also for the future. And when we're actually saying there's nothing that I need to repent of, unless I'm feeling really guilty and condemned, then what we're saying is I'm refusing an avenue of grace, and I'm also saying I don't really want to know whether there's integrity in myself. Uh, I'm creating a false self. Now, the problem is, and he mentions it in verse 16, God says, I do not delight in sacrifice. Sorry, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. Does that mean that God is not pleased with those things? No, it means the rote, kind of um, not heart-connected sense of like, God forgive me for this, a confession that is not connected to a sense of like understanding the seriousness of what I've done. When we hide, it's dangerous, and it's equally dangerous when we participate in rote religious duty. The Spirit is pursuing your heart to try to reveal you to you. A burnt offering with no heart engagement is not going to do that. This is the same thing when we force a child to repent to their sibling, right? How does that work for you guys, right? Now, you say sorry. Sorry. Do you sense a spirit of grace and mercy just flood your family in that moment? And you know that forgiveness is there, and you know that that sin will never be brought up again, right? You know that. Now, parents, I'm not saying don't lead and disciple your children within the context of repentance and forgiveness. What I'm saying is help them and yourself understand that unless you understand the seriousness of it, and unless you understand Jesus is the only one that can give you the ability to say, that was not okay, but I forgive you, actually saying, I forgive you when you don't, is creating another false self. We need to understand the difference. I mean, yeah, we need to understand that articulating a specific sin and what the outcome of that is better than saying, God, just forgive me for everything I did this week. It's like this huge kind of paintbrush, right? We're going to bed, or maybe you're going to do something dangerous, like get on a plane or skydive, and you're like, okay, God, forgive me of all my sins, and, and, and we're good, right? Remember, what is the Spirit trying to do? God already knows your sin. What is the Spirit trying to do? Give you an integrity of self, reveal yourself to you, if you want spending time with God, asking Him, what is actually going on in my heart? And you're not specifically asking for repentance from specific sins that won't be able to happen for you. Now, sins of the flesh are easy. Now, those are easier to deal with. Sins of the heart are a little trickier. Since, uh, so, for, for example, um, let's say you give yourself to porn or casual sex or drunkenness, and um, we can say, yeah, no, that, that is not good. But actually, retail therapy could have the same root as what you're trying to do by finding solace in porn or casual sex or drunkenness. What you're trying to do is soothe something in you, and the one is very clearly a sin, and the other one is, well, it's, it's kind of more socially acceptable, you know, because we have this sin appraisal sheet, right? And so as long as we aren't doing those ones up there, we're fine. But the ones down here, we don't really need to think about those too much. Last Sunday at a kickball game, um, I, um, I hit my daughter on the head with the kickball. <laughs> I, okay, so Neil says on purpose, and 
It was not on purpose. <laughs> okay. It was not on purpose. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so Kieran and I had a bit of a, a, a crusty day or two. And, uh, and I, I, spent some, no, no, I, I spent some time thinking to myself, like, why, why did I do that? I came up with all these excuses. Mainly it was Weston's fault, you know. Um, because we were just having a calm, nice kickball game, and then he stole the base. And I'm like, okay, is that how it's going to be? That's fine. And then I'm going to do whatever we can to get the out, right? I did not mean to hit her on the head. I meant to get her out. I didn't mean to hit her on the head. For the longest time, she thought I actually meant to hit her on the head. Anyway, I know this is a silly example, but, but just follow me when I, what I'm saying. I said to Kiana, like, I'm sorry about that. Why are you so mad? Because I thought you aimed. And I said, I didn't aim. She says, I know you. You can aim. I'm like, yes, under normal circumstances, I can aim. But I actually didn't mean to hit you on the head. But I am sorry that I did that. Um, and then I went before God, and I realized that the issue for me was pride. It's like my pride was dented in that moment. I was going to do whatever I could to get it back. And in that moment, I realized that that root, if you follow that root, I know that she forgave me. Apparently, maybe she needs to try a little harder. <laughs> you know? But, but guys, unless we spend time there, we, we can't actually allow the Spirit to dig that root deeper. And then I'm sitting there and I'm realizing, man, a lot of the stuff that I'm having to repent from comes from the same place. And so, God, I don't want you to just help me not hit someone on the head with a dodgeball. That's easy. I want you to dig that root out so that I don't feel like I have to do that to prove something. Make sense? Secondly, we need to understand the sobriety. Against you, you only have I sinned. Now, I know you guys are thinking, that's not true, okay? I mean, he destroyed a woman's life. She became pregnant. She lost the child. Everyone's looking at her and saying, we know what you did. He murdered someone, maybe not by his own hand, and then he was complicit in getting Joab to be like an accessory to murder. How can he say that? Well, if we see our sin as an offense against God, then none of the false remedies that we have to reject sin will work. Because we have three main false remedies. And this is, I can't take credit for this. Karen kind of brought this to me when we were raising our daughters. Um, we have three daughters, and they respond in three different ways, the way we all do. The first way in the garden is to deflect. What did Adam say when God challenged him? It was the woman. What did the woman say? It was the snake, right? So, so the first thing that happens when we're confronted with sin is we deflect. The second thing that happens is that we hide. God came in the cool of the night. Where are you, Adam? And they were hiding. So literally, my, my wife realized that in the context of discipling our, our kids, we had one that would deflect. We had one that would physically go and hide. And then we had another one that would try and cover with shame. So you know those, those class were, were naked, and so what they did was they built for themselves, or they made for themselves rather, um, uh, uh, fig leaves, the, the fig leaf of shame. And when we cover, we pursue shame because we desire penance to try and cover our sin. But it doesn't purify us. And so our shame is just covered. It isn't dealt with. 
Before we sinned against an individual, we've sinned against God. So not only had he shamefully abused Bathsheba, not only had he done the kinds of things that we'd mentioned, but it is 100% correct for him to say, God, I've sinned against you. Now, it's important to understand that we are not minimizing the sin that he committed against other people. I'm not saying that at all. What we are doing is raising an understanding that when when we're in a place of confession and repentance, It is a two-way confession and repentance. One, and most importantly, God, I've sinned against you. This is your child. This is your daughter. This is your law. This is the way in which you've taught me to behave. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against this person. Now, when we understand that our sin is against God, we cannot pacify or compare our sin against the actions of others. I can't continue to blame Weston. Because it wasn't his fault. Because I could have if it was just about throwing the ball. But when I sat there and said, God, what is this about? Then I realized it's not about him at all. Now, I can say that I was goaded, like road rage, right? How many of you behave in an inextricable way in a car, right? And you think it's okay. Well, maybe you don't think it's okay. But, I mean, some of the hand gestures that I've seen... In women over 70, in a motor vehicle, will surprise you. And yet there's a sense in which we feel legitimized because of the situation. You did something to me, so I'm able to do something to you. I know I've goaded others into a reaction, but when we say to God, God, I've sinned against you, we know this. It is never his fault, and he never did anything for us to act in this way. And so we've removed that. We also need to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. So so when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there also I shall be. There's no point in arguing with the accuser. What you need to do is say, yes, I am sinful and flawed, and yes, I did that. And I'm not talking about flippancy. We'll get to that. But I do know this. I do know my Savior. I do know the power of His shed blood. I do know that every time I confess my sin, He is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Do your best. I don't think that's our issue today, though. I don't think our issue is necessarily the sense of this weighted condemnation that most of us walk through. I think we have a flippancy issue where we assign blame for the way in which we behave. I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't done this. Where people force us to sin. Where we're comparing, where we deflect, where we hide, and when we cover. Probably the most dangerous thing is not necessarily error, but a seared conscience. Because the, the challenge with, with condemnation is that if, if, I'm, if I'm meeting or sitting with someone that is feeling the condemnation of the accuser of their souls, I can speak truth and I can see that truth begin to break into their souls. Because truth will always win over a lie, light will always win over darkness. And when someone is caught in this condemnation of shame, I am able, by the grace of God, to preach the gospel to them and begin to see their eyes open. But when someone's conscience is seared, 
it is very difficult to reach them. If someone's conscience is at a place where I'm not doing anything wrong, then, I, then it's very difficult for God to come to the place of actually saying, come and receive grace and mercy. I don't need grace. I don't need mercy. I've done nothing wrong. Conviction promises freedom. It's invitational. It is the kindness of God that draws you to repentance. So, so if you're not sure about what you're feeling, because we need to resist the condemnation of the enemy, but we need to invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Is this an invitational sense that I'm feeling? Conviction just reminds you of your failure, and it's exclusionary. It makes us run away from God. It makes us run away from our community. It makes us run away from our relationships that we know are ultimately good for us. Thirdly, we need to depend, and admit, depend on God, admit that we are helpless. Purge me, wash me, hide your face, blot out, create in me, renew. All of those are words about who? Active words about who? God. Who's doing these things? God is doing it on behalf of David. David is not purging himself. David is not washing himself. David is not hiding his own face. God is creating in him a clean heart. Denial is a false reality, and penance and comparison of false redeemers. Denial is a false reality. So we're saying there's nothing wrong, and then penance, like trying to kind of make right for what I've done, is a false redeemer. Only Jesus takes away our sin and guilt and shame and restores to us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, He made him to be sin, he who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. David doesn't just want absolution without relationship. He doesn't just want his sin forgiven. He wants to be restored into a joyful relationship with God. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold in me a willing spirit. Imagine what an awkward state it would be if our salvation and the ability for God to forgive us was we had this massive debt and we owe God $100,000, $100 million, we can't pay it back, and God says, your debt is canceled. But that's not the only thing that God has done. God has said, your debt is canceled and take the riches of Jesus. It's not just that our debts are canceled and now we are penniless. Imagine we stand here and God says, take that dirty robe off. Thank you, but now I'm standing here naked. No, that's not enough. He's taken off the robe of sin and shame and he's put on Jesus' robe of righteousness. So confession, repentance and confession means that not only is that done with, but the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which means that not only is our sin and shame taken away, but we have received that which we don't deserve. We didn't deserve to have that taken away, and we certainly don't deserve to have the riches of God and this beautiful robe of righteousness placed on us. That's why we can't do this for ourselves. Finally, if all of this is true, then we have to live as those that reciprocate what we've received. We have to live as those that give to others what has been given to us. 
Now, it's not in the psalm, but there are multiple times during David's life when he practices this forgiveness that he is asking God for. When Saul tried to kill him multiple times, there were times where David forgives Saul. We're sitting there, or I'm sitting there at least saying, bro, I don't know that that's the wise thing to do. You had the chance to kill him? He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to forgive him. Jesus, in direct commands and in parables, tells us that his followers must forgive on what basis? On the basis that they themselves have been forgiven. Not on the basis that what someone did to you was so much worse than what you did to them. Because that's kind of what we do. We, we are probably more comfortable forgiving someone for something that we are, are thinking is on the sin appraisal system, probably a kind of mid to low sin. That's not what we're called to do. Jesus tells us of the parable of the unforgiving servant. This is Matthew 18, and it's no coincidence that this parable comes after Jesus tells us how to deal with a brother that has sinned against you. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go to him, gossip about it, and let everyone know what's happened. No. In Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you, you go by yourself to him and tell him. Now, then he continues with this parable. And in this parable, there is a servant who owes this king a lot of money, let's say a million dollars. And he goes to the king and he says, have mercy on me. And the king wipes out his debt. He walks out of the, uh, of the king's throne room and then he finds one of his friends that owes him $10. Scripture says he grabs him by the throat and he says, pay me what you owe me. His friend says the exact same words, have mercy on me. He says, no, I'm going to put you in prison until you pay that back. Listen to what Jesus says about this man. The king finds out about it, and he says to him, shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back everything that was owed. I really struggled with this whole idea of torture. I went back and checked. Like, is it, is it really torture? It's the only time that word is used in the New Testament in this parable because unforgiveness tortures the person that chooses not to forgive. There is a torturing sense in which you think you're in control. You think you have the upper hand, but you are being tortured. You're being tortured emotionally, mentally, spiritually. How do I know this? Because I've done the same thing. The same hands that I've raised in worship to Jesus have grabbed, not literally, but have grabbed a fellow brother's throat and said, pay back what you owe me. I know this because when a person walks in the room, I have an emotional reaction. And I know that I haven't sent them away debt-free. In my wicked moments, it says this of Esau, that Esau comforted himself with thoughts of killing Jacob. That's what it says in Genesis. In my wicked moments, I've sat there and thought to myself, it would be awesome if something bad happened to that person. Who is being tortured there? 
that person? No. Remember they said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And that's what we're doing. Saul was a tortured soul. David was a restful soul. Saul's life appeared to be much easier than David's, but David's life was more peaceful. Why? Because of this. He understood the source of his joy. He knew he was a broken human being. And yet we know this of David, that he was considered a man after God's own heart. When you stack Saul's sins and David's sins, I would say that David's are longer and deeper. The difference between David and Saul is this. I'm going to run to the throne of grace. Even if I have in the past hidden, even if I have in the past deflected, even if I have in the past blamed, man, I had no idea, Nathan. That man had to die. That man is you. That's the grace of God. Forgiveness has a pattern in our community. Luke 17, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Or what the heck? How do we do this? Impossible to do without the grace and empowering of the Spirit. Just before we land, I just want to give you some four simple steps in terms of what it could look like within the context of a Christian community to be able to say, I forgive you. Detail the alleged offense. When you did, said, acted in this way, detail it as much as you can. Detail the offense. Own your own stuff. I know I may have. I know maybe you were under pressure. I know you, you're, you're offering grace in that moment, but be honest about its impact on you. I've said this before multiple times. It's, it's one of our family things. We, when someone asks for forgiveness, we don't say it's okay. Because what we're doing is we're minimizing the reason that forgiveness was asked for in the first place. It's not okay, but I forgive you. That thing that you did really hurt. I'm sorry, then I forgive you. Now it becomes hard. Forgive again and again, again, and again. If repentance is offered, graciously accepted. If it is not offered, go to God and ask Him to help you. Now, a perpetrator repenting makes repentance easier, but it doesn't absolve us from forgiving those that have hurt us that aren't asking for forgiveness. Now, guys, I'm talking within the context of community. I hope you understand I'm not talking about abusive situations, Situations that are clearly one directional. I'm not talking about those. I have a friend of mine, and I said to him, and we, we were talking about people that had hurt us, the same people that had hurt us in the same way. And I said, bro, I don't know what else to tell you. But on the cross, Jesus looked down and said, Father, forgive them. Those guys hadn't asked for forgiveness. And his response was to me, well, bro, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> well, I'm not Jesus either. But he sent his spirit to at least enable me to try to be able to free myself from the torture and poison of not forgiving others. Band, you can come up. I know the consequences of some sins will linger in your life. I know that there are those of you that are sitting here that have been hurt and wounded by others. 
and you're still dealing with the effects of what that looks like. I am not saying this is easy. But what I am saying is, the more we blame, the more we hide, and the more we just try and take condemnation, maybe it was my fault, the, the less free we will be. Forgiveness is a journey. I'm, I'm realizing that. And there are times when, when the person that I've sent away debt-free, I literally, in my heart, I've sent them away debt-free. And something will happen, maybe not with that person, but someone else, and it triggers that memory. And I have to work hard all over again. And then I go to God, and I say, please help me, purge me. Reveal these things to me. Show me who I am. Help me dig down to the root so that I can be free from this poison, so that I can be free from this torturing. James 2.13. We covered this when we went through James. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to pray for us, and then I just want us to to just be in a meditative state and just listen to the song. Father, I want to pray in the name of Jesus right now for the presence of your Spirit to bring conviction. And I want to pray against the accusing condemnation of the enemy. In fact, I pray if people are sensing condemnation that they would do what you have taught us to do, agree and actually declare where our hope is, where the risen Christ still with the marks of crucifixion is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, where we have this hope solid and secure that went behind the curtain that anchored to our souls. I pray for my friends, God, that we would bathe in the forgiveness that we have received that we would even remind ourselves and by your Spirit, even this morning, this week, this month, that we have done something that you have already forgiven, that we can come to you and acknowledge that and you can reveal yourself to us and ourselves to ourselves. I want to pray, God, that we'll be able to focus on the love and mercy that we have received, on the patience that you deal with us, the kindness I want to pray that we would feel that in that moment, that you would take us back to that action, that, that moment, that person that set us away debt-free, that said, I forgive you. Jesus, it's only when we bask in our forgiveness that we can extend that to others. And I pray that as we just sit and listen, that you would bring to mind someone that you're calling us to send away debt-free. That if we're grabbing someone by the throat demanding justice, God, I want to pray your grace would rescue us. And I would pray, God, that we would continue to taste deeply of the mercies of God so that we can display those mercies to others.
for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.